You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Good morning. How are y'all? Y'all is good? Happy New Year. New year, new you. Do you feel new? Do you smell new? (laughs) Don't smell your neighbor, that'd be weird. Unless you came with him. Yeah, I was sharing this in the the first service. Uh, Our three-year-old, she's in some weird, three-year-olds are weird in general. You love them so much, but they're just different. And uh, she's different. And she's in this spot of like, well, her older siblings, I don't know if it's like cute or torture, but they, they make her play fetch. <laughs> I don't know how y'all's house is, but I'll tell on our house. Y'all pray for our house after you hear this story. They're like, okay, sit. She sits. Lay down, roll over. And then they'll throw a toy and she chases it and grabs it with her mouth only and then brings it back to him. She's in this thing right now where like she'll just randomly just, she'll just sneak up on you and just sniff you. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. I was sitting in the recliner the other day and all of a sudden like she just crawls around the recliner unannounced and sniffs my foot and then just bites it. <laughs> like just bit my crock. I'm like, what is happening? So don't smell your neighbor, that's weird. Um, wow. That's an interesting way to start a service. Hey, glad that you're here in 2024, the first service of 2024. Give yourself a round of applause for coming to church. Uh, I'm, interested, um, I'm interested to see how many of you in the room are first-time guests at Renew Life Church. We're not gonna make you do anything crazy, but if you're a first-time guest, man, church family, could we welcome these people that are in the room? So awesome, super cool. Uh, my name's Cody and I'm the campus pastor of Renew Life Church Midland. Uh, Since you're new, I would give you a little bit of information. We actually have a church in Lubbock as well, Renew Life Church Lubbock. Uh, These two churches are the first two churches of a vision of having seven churches in seven cities. And so God is doing incredibly big things through us and for us and oftentimes I I just tell people like I'm pinching myself uh, because I'm just blown away by what the Lord lets us do. And uh, I don't know what your life is like but I, I would ask for you to consider, start pinching yourself every now and then just in this adoration to the Lord for letting him do the things that you get to do. Amen. Um, I'm excited about sharing today. Uh, we're gonna go into, <clears throat> right into our Bible, First Thessalonians chapter five. Uh, you can open your Bible to that. I'm gonna read verses one through 11. And I'm gonna read through the, uh, in, in the ESV Bible, translation. It says this, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like the thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you were not in darkness, brothers, 
for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Beautiful set of scriptures, verse two. Talks about how the day of the Lord will come like the thief in the night, and this is speaking of the return of Jesus, the day in which he will rightfully judge the world. It comes unexpectedly, and what he's saying is, uh, as sons and daughters of God who live in the light, those would be uh, us that have called upon him as Lord and Savior, us that have allowed him to come and transform our lives and we're living towards him. Uh, He's calling us sons and daughters of light. And he's saying, when you're sons and daughters of light, you're not living in the darkness, you're not surprised by by the day of the Lord that comes like the thief in the night. But the day of the Lord is actually coming. It comes unexpectedly. This group of scriptures, it contrasts day and night. It contrasts those that live in the light and those that live in dark. Verse six says this, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and let us be sober. That word sober is an interesting word and I want us to make sure that we take some time with it. That's my hope for the year, is that we are sober-minded people. Whether this is your home church or this isn't your home church, that's, that's neither here nor there, but as a son or daughter, of the Most High God, I pray that you find yourself in a place of 2024 where you're sober-minded, meaning you're thinking clearly. To be sober is to be aware. It's to be present. It's to be watchful. And it's to be clear-minded about things. To be asleep is quite different. It's to be numb. It's to be disoriented and even move into a place of carelessness. Romans chapter 13 says it like this. He says, and do this knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. I'm gonna pause just for a second. In 2024 and in the life of a believer all of the time, you you have to operate and you have to pray that the Lord increase your discernment. That you actually don't just see things that are happening around you, but you actually take notice of the things that are happening around you. There's, different, there's a difference there. He's saying we have to pay attention to the times. We have to have discernment in the season, and this, the discernment for the season comes from the Holy Spirit, who was a gift given to us by Jesus. It would have been no good for Jesus to continue his ministry on the earth at the point in which he chose to give the Holy Spirit. Because in those moments, the word is more centralized than it is now. When the Holy Spirit comes in a moment, even in services like this, and gives you revelation about what Jesus has said. 
He's saying, do this, knowing the time, that it is now high time to wake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Beautiful words. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ would mean that that we would take on humility. It means that in our quest to be right, we would surrender our rightness to humility and never be wrong in the eyes of God. Jesus was the most humble person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Not a man that was weak by a long stretch. I was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about masculinity and they were talking about Jesus and how in, in the moment when Jesus fashions the whip, he fashions the whip and he goes into the temple, he literally cleans house. And there's no record in those scriptures of anyone trying to stop him. It's like, how much rage did he walk in there with? Just swinging a whip and driving people out of there. But Jesus was a humble man. Jesus uh, didn't think more highly of himself than he ought to. And neither should I, neither should you. To put on Jesus means that we would be about the Father's business, meaning that we would let love lead everything that we do. Putting on the Lord Jesus means that we hate what Jesus hates and we love what Jesus loves. Putting on Jesus means that we read and we speak and we live our lives through his word. That is what it is to put on the Lord Jesus. And when we do so, we're making no provision for the flesh that doesn't want to do any of those things. We're not fulfilling the flesh in those moments. Put on the Lord Jesus, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. It's lust. I say all those things to say, as we dive into the word this morning, uh, I'm not wanting us to take or hear these words or even this message from a place of, of doom and gloom. Uh, I want us to uh, hear these words from a place of soberness, a place where our mind is, is set on the thing that is high, where our mind is careful, not careless, that we're actually considering the things of God as we move forward in this message. I want us to move forward in this year, and, and I want us to relate to the things of God from a place of fear. Now when I say fear, I'm meaning in reverence to God. I want us to actually have such a place for him in our lives. The word says, Isaiah 66, that God starts looking for those that when they hear the word, they tremble. Like there's a different weight that that kind of person puts on the word of God when it's spoken or when they read it. I want us to have that kind of soberness, that kind of fear and reverence to the Lord, reverence for his word, reverence and worship as we move forward. It is going to be such a needed thing in this year. Today, as we're talking about reverence, I want you to take that same mindset and I want you to apply it to the topic of the day and that is communion. I spend the whole day talking about the body and the blood of Jesus. The title of the message is really simple. Communion was really creative. I know I stretched and I prayed for seven hours to get that, but uh, let's pray and then we're gonna dive into these scriptures. Father, thank you for uh, this time. I thank you for every person here. 
God, what a beautiful thing it is to be alive in 2024. I don't care what it is said beyond your reality. God, I thank you that you have designed to purpose us, put power and strengthen us to live in these times, to parent in these times, to be a son or a daughter in these times, to be a student in these times, to actually be a grandma or a grandpa in these times. You have designed us and given us the opportunity to shift everything in this time. So I pray that you would come upon us as we share your word, that you would strengthen and fortify us, that we would move into places of humility and reverence and honor towards you. I pray that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, what it is to actually live from a place of being sober as it pertains to the things of God. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. I ask for your help for me to speak the word that you desire for me to speak and that they would hear your word, God, that they would actually open their hearts and their minds unto you, that you might implant something to them that changes everything, God. We love you so much. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. If you agree, give me a good amen. Amen. Here at New Life Church, if you're new here, um, we take communion every single Sunday. It's something that we have done for years and years and years, and the reason that we do that is because it is our... Uh, it, was, it is our intention and our purpose in those moments to make sure that Jesus remains in the place that he is designed to be, and that is high and lifted up. That is that he is the center, he is the foundation, he is everything that we're building this upon. We do this not only just for the church, but we do this that, that as we come together as a body that we're putting Jesus at the center of our lives and as individuals and at the center of this church. As I move forward, I wanna read uh, some scriptures just about communion and about how the Lord uh, implemented this and, and how it was carried out in scripture and what it refers to in the Old Testament. And, and we're just kinda gonna go on a bit of a journey, but if you would, would you go with me first to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, I'm gonna read verses uh, seven through 23. says this, then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover was must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. So they said to him, where do you want us to, where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered a city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Can you imagine like that being your instructions like today? Like, hey, I need you to go do some stuff, and here's how you're gonna know where you're gonna do it at. There's gonna be a guy walking down the middle of Andrews Highway, and he's carrying a pit, well, first off, if there was a guy walking down the middle of Andrews Highway, you probably shouldn't, you should stop, because we're Christians. Uh, but it was just really weird instructions. It says, follow him into the house which he enters. Then you will say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There, make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, 
with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Verse 21, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and surely the son of man, and and truly the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Incredible set of scriptures, and in this moment, Jesus, he is celebrating what was, but he's also instituting what will become. And when I say that he was celebrating what was in the Old Testament, starting in Exodus chapter seven, you can go back and look at this, and and you may have heard this before, but the people of God were in slavery and bondage in Egypt, and Pharaoh and Moses were kind of having a bit of a tussle. Moses would come to, to Pharaoh and say, hey, you've got to let the people of God go. And, it, and then he would say, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. It wouldn't happen, so a plague would come upon Pharaoh and, and Egypt. And this happens over and over and over and over again, all the way into Exodus chapter 12. God starts demonstrating his power through the man that is Moses to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 12, the people of God, they're instructed to prepare for what would be known as Passover. They're instructed to kill a male lamb that has no blemishes whatsoever and one that was a year old. And this speaks to to perfect innocence perfect purity. This sounds so much like a man that we talk of, and his name is Jesus, with no spot, yet in perfect innocence. Once the lamb was killed, they were instructed to take that blood of that lamb, and they were to apply it on the sides of their doorposts, over the lintel, and down the other side of their doorpost. They were given all these different instructions of how to prepare that lamb in order to eat it, and all of these different things, and they they actually listened with intent. They had a sober mind in this moment. They had come, and they were trying to come out of this place of being bound by something that had a hold of them, and it was another kingdom. It was a ruler of darkness, and his name was Pharaoh. And this is, in this moment, God's plan to rescue his people by sending the spotless lamb, killing this lamb that was representing purity, applying his blood to the doorpost of their home so that this happens. And we're gonna read this. Verse 12 in Exodus chapter 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This actually happens. They, they follow the, the, the word of the Lord. They fully surrender, fully submit. Because if you've been in bondage and you've been in slavery, any plan to get you out of that, you probably are gonna pay very, very close attention to you. You're probably gonna do everything the way that it was designed to be done so that you actually don't fall into the position of having the plague hit your house. Everything that, that is listed in this are the reasons why Jesus and his disciples were setting, sitting in that upper room getting ready to celebrate the Passover meal. This Passover in Exodus 12 was also telling, if you haven't picked up on it yet, of Jesus who was to come. Of the life in which he would live, the suffering that he would go through, and what he would provide for those that would choose to believe and put their trust and faith in him. Fast forwarding, told you we're gonna go on a little bit of a journey of communion, that was Exodus 12, fast forwarding to the New Testament into 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, he's addressing the Corinthian church in this chapter and he's talking about their unruly behavior, he's talking about uh, the strife and the divisions that are among them, he's not praising them, FYI, in this moment, he's got some words for them. He addresses in this chapter the selfish way in which they partake in communion. It's like you go into the temple, they, he's like you go into the temple, you don't wait for, for anyone at all, you actually overindulge on the bread and you're actually getting drunk on the wine. And he's like, it's not, it's not okay. Now obviously, we're taking a wafer and grape juice and the only thing that's gonna happen if we have too much of this is we're gonna have a bellyache and our mouth's gonna be dry because those wafers, they need some help. Amen. But, but Paul is addressing these people and their behavior and basically what he's saying is there's no reverence for the body and the blood of Jesus when you take it. And I have an issue with that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 31 <clears throat> says, for I received, I'm gonna do this really fast. Uh, he says this, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and, I'm sorry, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, verse 27, therefore, Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the, of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, this is interesting, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. 
I'm gonna go to verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. First thing that jumps out to me in this is taking communion is actually proclaiming the the Lord Jesus' death until he comes. Every time that you partake in communion, you're announcing the truth of Jesus. You're preaching the gospel to yourself. Every single time you take communion, you're proclaiming the, the Lord's death until he comes. You're announcing once again that Jesus came, that Jesus lived a spotless and sinless life as the very son of God, that he suffered a terrible death, that he was beaten, that he was spit on, that he was cursed while carrying a cross. Every time that you take this, you're confessing and and proclaiming these things. Furthermore, we're proclaiming that Jesus was nailed to that cross by his hands and by his feet, left to die an agonizing death, only to then die, but then be resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we could have life and be rescued from the punishment of sin. Every time you take this, that's what you're proclaiming. According to the scriptures though, the issue comes when we take communion and we announce that Jesus has rescued us and removed our sin while also choosing to hold tightly to unforgiveness, to rightness, to willful sin, and the list goes on. When we refuse to repent of sin that we willfully indulge in day after day, and we proclaim this as the thing that has changed my life, yet I'm not adhering to it, I'm actually taking it in an unworthy manner. Y'all follow me? If this means I'm re-preaching, man, Jesus has set me free. He did. Man, Jesus has bought all, he, he bore the, the, the weight of all of my sin. He, is, he has taken it all over. I'm proclaiming this when I do that and then I walk out of here or before that and I go right back into sin and I recuff myself to something that is bondage. That is an unworthy manner in which you're taking communion. That's what he's talking about. Once again, the reason that I'm even communicating this and teaching this is because I want us to actually give weight and honor to the things of Jesus that he's given us. The issue comes when we partake in that which is holy, but at the same time, we live in the dark and not as sons and daughters of the light. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that in and of yourselves, you have to go get yourself ready to then be able to take communion. Your brokenness and my brokenness is all that is needed to be in place of needing communion. What makes you worthy is the body and the blood of Jesus. And what prepares you to receive it is repentance. A word that we've kind of let escape from the church. Because the world tells us, do whatever you wanna do whenever you wanna do it, whatever makes you feel good. And if we're not careful, 
and we treat the things of God, even the word or his instruction, as something that is common, all of a sudden, the world sounds more truthful than the word does. And now I move into this place of just doing whatever I want, whenever I want, not actually giving weight to the things that God has given me in my life. The blood actually makes you worthy. I think that sometimes the church has done a bad job of telling you why you can't have communion. You've got to do all of these things and jump through all of these hoops and the hoop that you actually have to jump through is right there in the scripture. Verse 28, it says this, but let a man examine himself and then upon examination of yourself, what you find when you examine yourself you deal with appropriately. Can I tell you this? You and Jesus are the only one that know your deep things. You and Jesus are the only one that know the thoughts that you're having about me preaching this message on the first Sunday of the year. You and Jesus are the only one that know your deep things, your, your, your sins that maybe you have confessed outwardly but they're still going on inwardly. You and Jesus are the only one that know your shortcomings, your You are the only ones that know. And when he says examine yourself, what he is saying is pay attention to the things that only you and Jesus know. And make sure that you're dealing with those things that only you and Jesus know appropriately. And that is through repentance if it's needed. The word says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of the sin that we actually repent of. He says examine yourself. And so then afterwards, let him eat and drink, uh, let him eat the bread and drink the cup. Coming soberly to the table of the Lord, not in a downcast way, but in a humble way, full of repentance and reverence, is the definition of examining yourself in these moments. There's a connection in all of this, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 10. It's really interesting. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, it says this. For if we sin willfully after, have, after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remained sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three. How much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? I know these are really heavy words. I just wanna make sure that we're appropriately being sober as it pertains to what God has actually purchased for us on the cross. It should have changed us. My confession of Jesus should be reflected in the way that I live. That's what he's saying here. If I hear the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for me in proclaiming and what's been proclaimed about his death and the way that he died and the way that he lived and all of those things and he was resurrected, if I hear those things and I receive those things, And then I go from that moment and I continue to just willfully do whatever I wanna do. I'm actually 
canceling the sacrifice that was made for my sins. He says, count the blood of the covenant which, was, which he was sanctified by as a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. There's this thing that happens in your spirit when you repeatedly, willfully choose. I'm not saying like if you miss the mark, meaning like, oh, I screwed up and I sinned. Can I be real honest with y'all? Like real honest? I lied right before the service started. I told someone in our church just a lie straight to their face. And I repented before I came up here. And if I, if I go on living that way in unrepented sin, because that is a sin, FYI, I will grow to the place of being asleep in my spirit. Thankfully, she's gracious and she forgave me. I explained the situation, which doesn't make my lie any cleaner or better. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, it says something really interesting. I'm gonna actually read 29 and 30. It says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. When there is a lack of reverence or honor given to the, to the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus, there is also pride, carelessness, and those two things get no grace. They don't get blessed. God can't bless disobedience because it would kill us. Because we would just go on living in a place of disobedience, thinking that we were doing the right thing over and over and over again when it was actually just wrong. Exodus, I'm gonna flash back really fast to Exodus 12, 13, because I wanna connect something really quick. In verse 13, he said this, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And then he says this, and the plague when I pass over you, the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Why? Why were they spared from the plague? Because they paid attention and gave weight and honor to his careful instruction. They were sober in their mind when it was concerning what he had said for them to do. He's like, you gave weight and you gave honor to what I told you to do with the, the lamb. You didn't get a spotted lamb and say, this will do. No, you actually listened to everything that I said and you fully submitted to me in this moment. And because of your submission and your reverence and your weight that you gave to what my instruction was, the plague passed over you. But it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he says, 
For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Could it be that he's waiting for obedience, surrender, and reverence to return so that his hand actually is continually placed on us and blessing? He has a plan and he has a purpose. He has a way in which he does things. And those things have to be met with honor and they have to be met with soberness. And we can't be careless about the things of God any longer. I was listening to a, a, a it wasn't a podcast, it was a YouTube video. And this guy talked about, uh, it was a panel of these guys and they were just sharing their, their testimonies of the power of the word and what the word means to them and all these different things. And one of the guys shared this. He said, I, I, I wasn't, as a kid, I wasn't allowed to go to church. My dad wouldn't let us go to church as a family. He hated church. And he said, and finally, my mom found a church that was close to our house and she talked my, my dad into letting us go. But for seven years, every Sunday after church, he abused her. And that was the payment for us going to church. He said, my mom paid a really high price for me to be in church as a kid. And for seven years, almost every Sunday night, she had to be abused for it because he hated God and he hated the church that much. We take communion every single Sunday. We have the luxury of the word being here on our phone, anywhere we want it to be. My question is how sober do you think about the word and how soberly minded are you towards the things of God or have they just become a common thing to us? That's the place that I pray that we're not moving into. And can I tell you, I'm not preaching this because I think that we're careless. I'm preaching this because I want us to actually live the way that Jesus has designed for us to live so that he gets the most glory out of our life. And the most glory won't come if I am numb, if I'm asleep, and if I'm careless. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.